It's 7.22. I have 40 minutes to blow your mind with deep theological truth. To wow you with my intellect and my insight into the Scriptures of God. You ready? Should I say, please say no. No? Okay. You don't want Adam North. This is what you want. The living Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. You won't get it regardless of who's standing here unless you humble yourself and you're hungry. Jesus starts out the Sermon on the Mount and He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. The degree to which you are hungry tonight and tomorrow is the degree to which you will be filled. God does not shove things down our throat. Does that make sense to you guys? Let us continue to pray without ceasing. We're going to go through several passages tonight because, again, you don't want me, you want this. I'm just an unworthy servant who's fulfilling the assignment God has given me. That's it, nothing more. So let's look at Psalm 51. Turn with me to Psalm 51. I never know exactly where I'm going to start until... um, whatever is going on in the worship uh, before me. However, God lays the groundwork in that regard. And then Barry said the, Barry said the H word. This is my phone. I'm going to lay it right here. And if it rings and it's my wife, I'm going to answer it. She knows better than anyone where I am and what I'm doing. Uh, there's a greater chance than not that she's on her face right now interceding for me. And so... Um, If my bride calls me, I am going to answer the phone. Because quite frankly, she's more important than you guys. And I pray that that's the cry of your heart. That's the song of your heart. Uh, If it's not, I pray that it becomes that. Psalm 51. What will God not despise? This is what I want to know. Okay? Well, David answers for us here in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. And I believe there are several reasons, uh, but I believe that this is one of, if not the foremost reasons, why David was a man after God's own heart. It says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. I think this is one of the favorite things, probably the favorite thing that Matthew heard Jesus say because he wrote it twice. It's in chapter 9 and chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel. The thief... Matthew heard Jesus say this, and I think he just loved it. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. You look that word up in the Greek, and what you understand is that means morally disgusting. I don't want to be morally disgusting to God, do you? Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. There is a lot of pride in the body of Christ in America today. Men stand before God, holding on to so many things, refusing that still small voice. And men, in His sovereignty, He cannot allow us to go forward. So let's pray. Let's humble ourselves and pray. I want you to agree with me in your heart as we petition the throne of our Father. Holy, holy, holy. 
are you, Lord God Almighty. Unworthy. Unworthy are we to know you, to be known by you. And in your infinite love, God, you say to us, come and let us reason together. God, I don't understand this. Though my sins are as scarlet, you promise they'll be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, you tell us they'll be like wool. Oh, Father, we'll take it. God, we humble ourselves before you. Knowing that you alone are righteous, that you alone are just. And that mercy and truth go before your face. Have mercy on us tonight. We have come here that we may be more righteous, that we may be transformed into the image of you, Jesus, our good King. That we may be more just in our dealings. Show us what's true. Lord, all we want is what's true. And we surrender now our traditions that are not of you. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, and show us that which is true. For your glory. And Jesus, we ask this in your very nature that you are glorified. And all God's people said, Amen. Adam, why do you have a beard? Beards catch tears. Men, turn to Hosea. I told you we're going to be doing quite a bit of flipping tonight. There's a scripture. I can hear pages turning. Or turn your Bible on if you have your Bible. I've learned to say that. Turn your Bible on. Okay, it doesn't matter. If you don't have your Bible, get out. The door's right over there. You came to church tonight. You didn't bring a Bible. Are you kidding me? No, I'm just kidding. Stay, but get a Bible. Okay, if you want to ruin most good sermons, you could just stand up and raise your hand and say, what are you talking about? Better yet, you could say, show me how to do what you're talking about. We live in a world where we're drunk with what to do and what not to do. From the time I grew Adam, do this, don't do that. Very seldom was I shown how to do something and given an incentive as to why I wanted to do it. Okay? So I'm going to go ahead and tell you tonight that I'm going to teach you how to do what I'm talking about. Does that sound good? I'm a practical guy. I'm a hands-on guy. I'm a welder and a fabricator by trade, and God called me out and said to speak for him, and so I have done that. I'm practical. God's practical. In fact, he's put it in our lap to be practical, and when we do practical things according to his word, he moves on our behalf profoundly. When we do things in the mundane, he moves miraculously in our life, okay? Let's look at Hosea, and God tells us here in chapter 4 uh, what our problem is. My people, in verse 6, thank you, yeah, Hosea 4, 6, that is music to a Bible teacher's ears. Hosea 4, 6 Now, this is the same Hosea that was told to go take a wife of whoredom. Uh, Isaiah, I mean, uh, Hosea, go marry a whore. And I'm going to show you what it's like. I I want to impart to you and through you what it's like for me to be married to Israel. Okay? That's the backdrop for this. God says, this is his charge against Israel in chapter 4. My people are beat up for lack of knowledge. Is that what it says? My people are... Really, really, really in bad shape for lack of knowledge. 
What version is this guy reading? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I want to share with you a few things that I want you to look at the Scripture tonight and listen to the words tonight through. Look through these lenses. Okay, listen through these earpieces. I want to talk a little bit about conviction. I want to talk a little bit about condemnation. Okay? So, condemnation looks like this. It leaves me feeling hopeless. Okay? When the enemy comes and he condemns me, he leaves me feeling hopeless. He also makes me feel that the mountain of failure, whatever I'm dealing with, whatever situation I'm in, that it's too high, that I can't overcome it. Okay, that's a hallmark of condemnation. It also makes me feel like my anguish is increasing because there's been no remedy given that's great enough to overcome my pain. That's what condemnation does. Those are a few of the things that condemnation does. Now, conviction is different. Conviction is of the Lord. Condemnation is of the liar, the thief, the destroyer, the killer, the deceiver. Conviction, however, is from the Lord, your Heavenly Father. And conviction looks like this. It always leaves me for, with hope for change. Always. Now, it may be a hard thing that the Lord's asking me to do, but it always leaves me with hope for change, good change, godly change. It also deals precisely with what I have done. God is not vague, and your pastor just told you that he's not silent. He's the capital C communicator. He spoke one, one word, one verse. He spoke the world into existence, and he hasn't stopped talking. There's a still, small voice that we need to learn to yield to. And it also leads to repentance, which is not just saying, I'm sorry. There is an eternal chasm between I'm sorry and will you forgive me. Does that make sense? Those are so far apart, it's not even funny. I'm sorry. You're sorry for what, Adam? You're sorry you got caught? You're ashamed? You're guilty? Lord, will you forgive me? And now in your strength, by your grace, I'm going to turn from this. So it leads to repentance and relief of my anguish. So think with me through the passages as we look tonight. Uh, think through that grid. Does that make sense to you guys? Does that make sense? One way you can know God's voice is by the way he comes to you. It's a still, small voice. We have one instance of where he wrote something in the sky on a flying scroll. He's not going to do that for you. His son hung on a cross and died a sinner's death for you and for me. We need to yield to that still, small voice. So let's do that tonight. John chapter 3, verse 17. There's more to this story of God so loving the world and giving His only begotten Son. And we need to understand all of it so that we're not destroyed. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is true. Some versions say flawless. You guys believe that? I hope so. Because this is more real than you and me. Jesus says about this word that not one jot or one tittle will pass away. You know what a jot is? It's just like what it sounds like, the dot of an eye. Or one tittle. What's a tittle? Like what would cross a T, exactly. 
like what would separate our P from our R. So not only is not one word going to pass away, not only is not one letter going to pass away, but not one part of one letter is going to pass away, and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. That's how secure this is. So let us step into the reality that if we will do what this says, not even though we don't understand it, but especially though we don't understand it, we're on the right road. We're on the right road. Every word of God is pure. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Not most of it, not what we agree with, not what I understand. There are no contradictions here, just things that I don't understand yet. Amen? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. John 3.17, you guys know 3.16. For God did not send, I love this, for God did not send his Son into the world to what? You guys can talk back to me. Condemn the world. Okay, count with me. But that through the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Well, Jesus tells us why. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Father bears witness to the Son. The Son bears witness to the Spirit. Do you see how every word of God is pure? Now, here's the verdict. Okay? Here's the condemnation. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation, or the verdict, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. If you're coming to God for the first time, if you're coming to God for the, for the first time, that can't be the last time you come to Him. There's, there's two parts to this this grace. There's saving grace and there's sanctifying grace. There's two parts to a relationship. I met my wife and we've been married for 16 years next month. There's a meeting and there's ever after. Do you see what's happening here in this passage? Do you see how when he says, he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. What he means is that you come and you surrender your life to Him, and you cry out to Him in utter depravity because of the Spirit He's putting in you, because of what He's put in you, the very hope you have you realize is not your own, and you say, save me, Lord. Save me. But how many times do we do that, and then we get up and we walk out, and we go back to our normal life, and then we come back the next day, or the next seven days, the next week, and we keep, we keep doing this over and over and over. There's a meeting and there's ever after. Turn with me now to Isaiah 61. I want to share this with you guys too while you're turning there. Barry mentioned that I'm a disciple maker. That is the highest compliment that anyone can give me. Um, I consider that such a privilege 
And um, I want you to know, man, that the outer court does not require brokenness other than broken enough to repent. If you want to walk with God, I mean walk with God all the days of your life, you have to come in to the inner sanctum. You have to come into the Holy of Holies. So many people are content to believe and to be saved from the lake of fire without picking up their cross and coming daily after him. That's why I've come here. I want to help you with this. Is that, is that what you want? Do you want? Do you realize what it cost God for you to enter the Holy of Holies? He had to turn his face away from his son while he bore my sin and my shame in order for me to cry out to him, in order for me to enter into the Holy of Holies. Matthew 27, verse 50 says that Jesus cried out, he breathed his last, and God tore the temple from top to bottom, tore the veil in the temple from top to bottom. He is our high priest forever. He is our priest and our prophet. Look with me what the, uh, what the prophet Isaiah prophesied in the 61st chapter of Isaiah. This man of unclean lips, I love Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've said that to God. God, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God reminded me that if he had to find a perfect man to use to get his message across, then it wouldn't get across. You understand that that's how disciple-making works, that that's what it is? Jesus is God's plan to save a lost world. Jesus' plan to reach a lost world is you. He said, go and make disciples. Not go and preach sermons, not go and sing songs, not go and teach Sunday school, not go and have small groups, not go, go make disciples. And there's nothing wrong with all of those things as long as they're centered around making disciples. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is the poor in spirit, okay? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of despair. Why? Why is he doing all this? That they may be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Your version may say that he may be glorified. This is why he's doing this. Now, I was teaching and leading a group of men about three years ago, and I gave them an assignment. I said, I want you to go home, and I want you to have several quiet times on this passage in Isaiah. And then I'm going to ask you one question, and I'll, I want you to pray and ask the Lord, and I want you to seek Him. And then when we come back next week, I want you to give me the answer. Verse 4. In fact, you may see a break in your Bible, um, but I like to read verse 4 with these first three verses. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And I understand that right now the remnant that's in Israel is in fact gathering resources and information and artifacts, everything. They're, they're preparing to rebuild the temple. I get it. But my God cannot be found in brick and mortar. 
I am the temple of the living God. He lives in me. Does he live in you? So what's going on here? Well, I told the man, I said, go home. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer this question. What are the old ruins? What are the ancient ruins? What are the former desolations, the desolate places, the ruined cities? What is that? So we came back the next week, and I asked the men, and nobody wanted to answer. And there was a man that was in the group with me, and um, he was a former pastor, and um, he was no longer in ministry. Uh, had a master's degree in theology. And you know what he said? He said, well, I guess you could spiritualize it and say it's men's hearts. Yeah. Can you over-spiritualize the Word of God that was written by the Holy Spirit? Not everything in here is literal, as we're going to see in Luke 4, okay? But it is spiritual, Everything that's happening in the unseen world is more real than what you can put your eyes on right now. How unimpressed with God is the physical world? Well, He's going to make everything new. He's going to make a new heaven. He's going to make a new earth. And I said, well, brother, we might ought to do that since we are the temple of the living God. We are the capital C church. So why don't we do that tonight? Why don't we look now at Luke chapter 4 This amazes me. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Now, I like to daydream because God's giving me my imagination back. It was hijacked because, well, I live in the world and I grew up watching television and listening to unholy music and doing all kinds of other things. I like to imagine what happened in Jesus' heart and mind before he said anything, before he said something, before he said everything. Think about that. He's the Word become flesh. He's sinless. He's never made a mistake. He's never had to back up and punt. Every time he opens his mouth, it's pure and it's perfect. It's right on time. It's not just thorough, it's complete absolutely complete because he is the living word and when I read this here of all the things that he could have said I marvel at what he gave is his inaugural speech to the world when he announced I am Messiah mess I'm here and I don't look like what you expected I think about that all the time I think what would it be like for Jesus to walk with Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Matthew who worked for the Roman government and Simon who wanted to kill every Roman. Right? What would that have been like? What would it have been like to be Jesus and to walk with the beloved one, John the Revelator on one side of you and Judas on the other? And right up to the betrayal, call him friend. Let's look and see what's in the heart of Jesus. What's at the center of the heart of your Savior and mine? Verse 16, Luke chapter 4. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, as he did regularly, 
He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Why did they stand up? Because they had a reverence for God's Word. Okay? And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. This is one of my favorite parts. And when he had opened the book, he went and found the place where it was written. He deliberately turned to this place. No accidents, no coincidence. He went and he found where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, was everybody's eyeballs actually literally fastened on Jesus' body? No. That's what I mean when I say this is not all literal, but it is all spiritual. Okay? There's an example of that. Do you see what's happening here? Now, if I were Jesus, I would go back and I would look at Isaiah, and I would think, wow, wouldn't it be great if... He said something like, I don't know, it's too small of a thing for uh, me to just be a light to the Jews. I've come to the Gentiles too. I've come to the whole world. Or to quote something from Isaiah 53 about him being humble and lowly. Wouldn't that, that have been appropriate? Of course it would have been appropriate. But it's not what he chose. He chose to announce that he has come to bind up our broken hearts and set our captive souls free. What is breaking your heart tonight. If you come here tonight with a broken heart, if you had a bad day today, or did you come in here problem-free? Have you had a bad day in the last week, or did you come here light as a feather? Have you had a bad day in the last year? What is weighing heavy on your heart, and what is keeping your soul captive? If you're here tonight and you're a son of God, your chains are broken, and you've been set free. This is why Paul says, do not return again to a yoke of slavery, a yoke of bondage. He does not want you to turn around and look at that prison from which you came. He does not want you to turn around and look at those chains that are broken. He, but how many times do we go back, woe is me, step in and slam the door and sit down, holding on to our rage, holding on to our anger, holding on to our right to be right which is no right at all, holding on to our sin. I know I've done it. Jesus came to bind up that broken heart of yours and to set your captive soul free. This is an ongoing process. Jehovah Mekadesh, our God who sanctifies us. This is what he longs to do. This is what he longs to do. We have to cry out to him. We're going to have a time of prayer here in a moment. And if you... Don't have anything weighing on your heart, anything keeping your soul heavy and bound in despair, stay right where you are. Stay right where you are. But if you do, I want you to come down here and I want you to pray. I want you to come down here and I want you to pray with your brothers. If you want to share the burden with a brother, that's fine. If you don't, 
that's fine. But I want you to come, church, and I want you to pray. I want you to seek the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You'll find him. Let's look at another passage. Let's look at Isaiah 30, verse 15. Barry and I were talking about this at lunch today. How many of you are thinkers? Raise your hands. Okay. There's a cure for you. I'm a thinker. I'm a thinker. The cure is to worship. The cure is to praise Him. The cure is to burst out in song. How many of you are, are worshipers? How many of you are singers? You hear? I like that, Nathaniel. Yes. There's a cure for you. That cure is to think. There's a cure for everything. It's all right here. Ecclesiastes 7.18 says it's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God avoids all extremes. What's extreme in your life? Are you analyzing God? There's no counsel against Him. There's no wisdom against Him. We go to this to be analyzed by it, not to analyze it. Are you drowning in sorrow and running around singing a song all at the same time? Quiet your soul. Quiet your soul. Sit and meditate on the Word of God. He is the bread of life. This is what sustains us. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's look at Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. And quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee. Till you are left as a pole on top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. Therefore, the Lord We'll wait. Men, stand up. Stand to your feet. Keep the Word of God in your hand. Therefore, the Lord will wait. Why? That He may be gracious to you. And therefore, He will be exalted that He may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Man, we're getting closer to that time. I'm not going to hide anything. I'm not going to try to dupe you. I've already told you. I've broken the number one law of speaking. I've told you what I'm going to do before I do it. I want you to know that if the Lord whispers to your heart, to your mind in a moment, 
and you don't come down here and pray, it's between you and him. Why, why do I want you to come down here and pray? Because this whole thing is about being godly men. It's about manning up. And that starts with humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves and being contrite before the Lord, being broken before the Lord. That's the only right we have. That right will go away one day. The only right you and I have is to be broken before a sovereign God so that He can fill us up. When we die, that right is, 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 is gone because you're either in heaven with Him and you're perfectly righteous and you're not broken. There are no tears or you're in hell and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is no in-between. Let's keep reading the living Word of God. Wherever you turn to the right hand, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, verse 22 you will also defile the covering of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away. Men, we don't have statues of wood and gold and silver and bronze in this country, but we have cars, we have jobs, and we have titles, and we have guns, and we have fishing poles, and we have big screen TVs, and we have sporting events. We have our pride. We have our lust. We have our greed. We have our envy. We have our strife. What is your God tonight? Then he will give the rain for your seed with which you sow the ground and bread of the increase of the earth. It will be fat and plentiful. And that day your cattle will feed in large pastures. Man, I'm in North Dakota and this is ringing true. I love this. Boy, likewise the oxen and the young donkeys that work the ground will eat cured fodder which has been winnowed with the shovel and fan there will be on every high mountain and on every high hill rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter the great slaughter of what your idols that which is keeping your heart broken and your soul bound when the towers fall Will you come down here tonight and will you tear down a stronghold in your life that the Lord has already told you about? He's already spoken to some of you. He's already told you the thing. He's been very specific. He's been very clear. He's dealt precisely already with you on what you've done. He's leaving you with hope for change. Verse 26, Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be sevenfold. Now this is not the light of the sun that we know in Revelation. This is not that same light. Okay? It's going to burn the earth. It's going to burn men on the earth. Okay? The moon is in reference to the Jews. The sun is in reference to the Gentiles. That's why he placed the heavenly bodies there. Okay? We can divide all of creation into two camps. The Jews and the Gentiles. Amen? Do you see this? This is everyone. In the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. What wound is on your heart tonight? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't come to borrow. He doesn't come to beat up. He doesn't come to paint graffiti on. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is waiting tonight for you to come to him so that he can bind up your broken heart.
and set your captive soul free. He's still the balm of Gilead. You're looking tonight at a man who is a murderer and a liar and a thief, an adulterer. I'll have a conversation with Paul when I get to heaven because he didn't have the technology to sin the way I have. I may argue with him that I'm the chief. It'll be of no consequence because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. And I'm in the constant practice of asking him, how is my heart broken so that I cannot know you better? How is my soul bound up that I'm not able to know you better? Man, I'm going to ask you to come now. I'm going to ask you to pray. This is our solemn service. This is our solemn service. This is Romans 12.1. We're not going to dim the lights. We're not going to play music. We're not going to give you a backdrop. Every single soul that Jesus saved while He was here on earth, He did it in public. Every head was not bowed and every eye was not closed. He says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Men, what is it that's hurting in your heart tonight? How is your soul bound up? Will you come and pray? We're going to pray for the next 20 minutes. This sanctuary is open and free. I want you to know this. Every movement of God starts with prayer. You can say that you want to touch Minot. You can say that you want to transform this city. You can say that you want to reach the communities. The communities think we're weird because we claim to have the way, the truth, and the life, and we don't live differently from them. And the reason that we don't live differently from them is because we don't encounter God in prayer. He doesn't rend our heart, tear our heart in prayer, and show us what our problem is. Samuel said this, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. God shattered my heart several years ago when he said, Adam, the prayer of your heart is, listen, Lord, your servant speaks. Will you come here tonight and will you pray? Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. How many of you heard God's voice tonight? How many of you God spoke to your heart, spoke to your mind, or you heard His voice like you're hearing mine? I'm not about to dictate to the uncreated creator of all things how He can and can't communicate. How many of you heard His voice? Do you have a pen? Get one, write it down. If the God of the universe bothers to speak to you, bother to write it down. For how many of you was that awkward? You're safe here. There's no condemnation in Christ. You're not going to find any from me. How many of you, that was awkward for you? <clears throat> it was. That's okay. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Your worship leader uh, prayed right through and passed his time. It's 831. 
If we want to be serious about going forward with God, we will become serious about praying. We have to. Jesus withdrew from the masses, the multitudes, and he went into the wilderness. He went alone to be by himself and he prayed. I'm going to pray a blessing over you guys tonight. And I would encourage you tonight, if you want to read as you fall asleep, if you want to meditate on the Word of God, to go and read Daniel 9, 1 through 19. And Daniel's a pretty special guy. God told him to seal it up to the end. God told Daniel things that no one else will know until that scroll is opened. God sent an angel directly to Daniel to say, Don't worry. You're going to heaven. Okay. Read Daniel 9, 1 through 19, those of you who want to. And here's what I want you to look for. I want you to look for how many times Daniel says, I, me, and my. Okay. I, me, and my. Look for how many times he says that in that passage. God spoke to me several years ago, and he said, Adam, you have this yearning to speak to men. Um, you, you believe, 1 Peter 4.11, that if any man speaks, let him speak as though he speaks the very words of God. And I've put that in you. However, you will not be able to speak to a man's heart and touch his heart until it becomes more comfortable and natural for you, normal for you, to talk to me about men than to talk to men about me. It's true. It's true. Man, if you want to change this town, if you want to change this city, if you want your household to change, and if you want this world to change, um, you have to be men of prayer. Tomorrow I will spend extensive time teaching you how to pray based on the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. That's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17 because Jesus never asked forgiveness for sin. That's the model prayer. So we'll look at that tomorrow. But right now I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. This is from Psalm 119. There are some key verses in here. And I want the Lord, I want to ask the Lord to bless you and I want you to receive a blessing. Did anyone here give their life to Christ tonight? Did anyone here surrender to Christ tonight? Or recommit your life to Christ? Amen, Ben. Praise God. Praise God. How many of you were con convicted by what the Lord told you? Raise your hand. How many of you were affirmed? How many of you? Amen. Amen. Father, we believe that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. That you alone are right and wise. That you're not a fair God, that you're a just God. And that the reason there's no sun in heaven is because mercy and truth go before your face. The reality that we do not get what we deserve 
and we get your son instead. Mercy and truth. Go before your face. Father, I pray that you would cause these men to walk in the path of your commandments, that you would cause them to delight in it, that they would incline their heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. God, I pray that you would wake them up tonight at midnight, that they would rise and give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Jesus, I marvel that you said it was good that you go because you're sending the helper, that the helper would teach them good judgment and knowledge because they believe your commandments. Father, I pray that these men would love your law and that they would think with a purpose on it all the day. God, I pray that they would see and understand that they would know in their hearts that your testimonies are wonderful and that their soul would long to keep them. God, I pray these men open their mouth and they pant and that they long for your commandments. God, I pray that they see and see anew that your word is very pure, that they see it as a privilege to have it and to love it. God, I pray that these men's eyes are awake through the night watches and that they meditate on your word, that they feed on your word, Lord. I pray that they rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. And God, I pray for every soul in here that they would know great peace because they love your law and that nothing would cause them to stumble. Jesus, you tell us that we shall know the truth and we shall be free. Not that we shall know everything, but we shall know the truth about everything. And Lord, that's my prayer for these men tonight. Lord, I pray that they would hope for your salvation and they would do your commandments and that their souls would keep your testimony and love them exceedingly. That they would keep your precepts, Lord, the things that govern the relationship that they have with you and that you have with them, that they would keep these things and your testimonies knowing that all of their ways are before you. Lord, this is my prayer. And I ask it so that you're glorified. I ask it, Jesus, in your nature so that you alone are glorified. And again, all God's children said, Amen.